Efforts to make naloxone more readily available to save lives across the county. It's critical, especially in the context of fentanyl, for community members to have naloxone on hand. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. The offices at stake in Mexico's upcoming election and how that may impact San Diego. There's a, a very important integration happening uh, here. It's not only on the economy, it's, it's tourism, it's social. There's a lot of uh, family ties. Plus, things to enjoy on the outdoor arts and culture scene in the weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. San Diego County officials today signed a health order that will make the drug overdose reversal medication, naloxone, more readily available without a prescription. This follows news that eight inmates at the George Bailey Detention Facility in Otay Mesa were hospitalized this week after overdosing on the synthetic opiate fentanyl. The powerful drug is responsible for a huge spike in accidental deaths over the last year, according to County Medical Examiner reports. And joining me now to talk about this is Luke Bergman, Director of Behavioral Health Services for the County of San Diego. Luke, welcome. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. I want to start by talking about the prevalence of fentanyl in the county and its impact on the number of accidental deaths here. Can you put that prevalence into context for us? I mean, do we know how much fentanyl is circulating in the community? We unfortunately don't know precisely how much fentanyl is circulating in the community and it's, it's a difficult thing to discern because fentanyl um, is so potent that very small amounts of it have very um, significant impacts and it's very easy therefore for uh, dealers of illicit drugs to spread it very far and wide. The best proxy that we have for determining its distribution is in um, where we find it in overdose mortality data and overdose death data. Um, And what we're seeing on that front, uh, as you suggest, are enormous increases in the the, uh, total numbers and in the proportion of overdose deaths that have fentanyl involved. Mm. Will you remind us why fentanyl is so deadly? It's extremely potent as an opioid. So fentanyl is a synthetic opioid uh, and, uh, and so acts on the brain in, in ways that other opioids do, like heroin, like oxycodone. Um, it just uh, acts uh, much more quickly uh, and much more strongly. Just to give you some sense for those proportional numbers that I was mentioning uh, before, just this last uh, February, uh, for example, we, we had around 100 overdose deaths in San Diego County. Two-thirds of those involved fentanyl. Uh, th- this past August, uh, August of 2020, which w- when we're looking at single months, uh, was the month uh, where we had the most uh, overdoses during this kind of most recent uh, uh, uptick. It was a- a- around 60% of all overdose deaths involved uh, fentanyl. So it really is having a significant impact. 
Hmm. You know, this announcement today by county officials to make naloxone more readily available here, uh, you know, how important could that be to slowing the number of accidental deaths caused by drugs like fentanyl? I think it can be hugely impactful. Um, uh, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that, that we are wanting to make especially clear um, in the context of first responders already carrying naloxone and administering naloxone when they come upon overdose uh, situations, is that with fentanyl in the community, death happens quickly. It can happen virtually immediately. It can happen well before a first responder would, ar- would arrive at a scene, even if 911 were called relatively quickly. So it's critical, especially in the context of fentanyl, for community members to have naloxone on hand. And that's what this standing order does. It will accelerate the distribution of naloxone through county clinics and then also through community-based organizations throughout the county. So we can be sure that everybody who thinks they may be interacting with somebody who uses drugs has naloxone with them. And it's a, it's a, it's a very, um, it's very small, comes in a, in a, uh, in a very small package. Um, it's extremely easy to use. It, it just uh, in, involves uh, pumping medication into a person's uh, nasal passage. And so if someone is carrying it and they come upon someone who's in the midst of an overdose, they can save their life. Um, if, uh, if, if somebody knows that they have a family member who is using drugs, even if somebody suspects that they have a family member who is using recreational drugs, it would be important for that person to have naloxone with them because, again, we're finding fentanyl all over the place in every illicit uh, uh, category of drug that we have. Um, And so our hope is to really normalize it. And you've touched on this, but under this new health order, how could someone get access to naloxone and and where can they get it? So initially, it will be made available through uh, county clinics, uh, county public health clinics, county-run behavioral health clinics. Um, That's our immediate next step as we put in place um, distribution through community-based organizations, which we are expediting so, so that it happens as soon as possible. Um, again, this is medication that will be free. Uh, we, we are being supplied naloxone through the Department of Healthcare Services at the state as part of their harm reduction program. And so can anyone walk in and get it? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, in a story published yesterday by Voice of San Diego, they report on the impact of fentanyl overdoses in the homeless population in San Diego County. Eighty-two homeless San Diegans have died in the last year of fentanyl overdoses. Uh, What are the challenges of getting naloxone to this population and it being used to save lives? So it's, of course, an especially vulnerable population. The homeless population is on virtually all fronts. Uh, people who are chronically homeless uh, have higher rates of chronic physical illness, higher rates of mental illness. And it's challenging, uh, I think, for the chronically homeless population, um, uh, you know, just in, in that it, you know, it, it is, is it, all logistical aspects of life are, are challenging for the chronically homeless population. We want to make sure that people are keeping this medication with them at all times and, and just keeping one's belongings together for somebody who is chronically homeless is challenging. So that's a challenge, certainly. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, as we engage in additional 
uh, outreach efforts and engagement efforts um, in, in our overarching work um, to address homelessness. Naloxone can be a key ingredient. Um, it's a, it, it can be a, a really effective tool, actually, for engaging with people um, who are using drugs, potentially harmfully, who are homeless, who may be reluctant to engage with homeless outreach workers, who may be suspicious of their motivations. Using naloxone um, as a means for engagement can actually be a really powerful tool in addressing homelessness. I've been speaking with Luke Bergman, Director of Behavioral Health Services for the County of San Diego. Luke, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's election time in Mexico, and Baja California will soon get a new governor. KPBS reporter Tanya Thorne tells us about some of the candidates and how this election impacts San Diego. Thousands of offices are at stake in Mexico's upcoming election. Almost half of the country will elect new governors. Christian Dunn, a representative for the Morena Party, says June 6 will be a historic day for Mexican citizens to go to the polls. This is the largest election in the history of Mexico because it's a concurrent election. Before local elections were held one year and federal elections the next, for the first time, Federal and local elections have been combined. In Baja California, seven candidates are running for governor. Three of them are women. Rafael Fernandez de Castro, the director of U.S.-Mexican Studies at UC San Diego, says three candidates are currently leading the polls. The, the one who is ahead in the polls is uh, Maria del Pilar, uh, which is the candidate of, of Morena, uh, the party in power. And she is currently the uh, mayor of Mexicali. Pilar has been advocating for free drug rehabilitation, increased salaries for police forces, and keeping an eye on crime by setting up 10,000 security cameras. Following Pilar in the polls is best candidate Jorge Hank Ron, who owns the Tijuana soccer team Los Cholos de Tijuana, as well as the largest sports betting company in Mexico, Grupo Caliente. Who is a very controversial figure in Tijuana, in the entire Mexico. Hank Ron has been rumored to be a suspect in a variety of money laundering investigations. His campaign message has been about providing security, education, and development. Fernandez de Castro says Hank Ron may also be taking votes from another top three candidate. Well, people say that he's basically dividing and, and just, uh, just limiting the chances of the coalition between PAN and PRI, uh, who have Guadalupe Jones, a, a former Miss Universe. Originally from Mexicali, Guadalupe Lupita Jones doesn't have much political experience, but says this is to her advantage as she says she is a true citizen candidate. She says she wants to create a model state for Baja California by creating a transparent government, stopping violence against women, and connecting Baja California with the rest of the world. Fernandez de Castro says Baja California could well be on its way to have the first woman governor, but voters first need to go out and vote. And unfortunately, in Baja California, has a much lower turnout rate of voters than in other states. Fernandez de Castro says in the last governor election, only 29% of Baja Californianos voted. In comparison, 64% of California voters participated in the 2018 gubernatorial election. In esta campaña electoral, in this election, our biggest rivals aren't the competing parties. It's getting people to go out and vote and gaining their trust. 
We asked Mexican citizens at the San Ysidro border if they were participating in the upcoming elections, and everyone shared similar sentiments as Brian Contreras. I don't plan on voting. Every time a new government takes office, everything stays the same. We don't see the change. Contreras works at an Amazon facility in Chula Vista and lives in Tijuana. Fernandez de Castro says this election will have an impact on San Diego. There's a, a very important integration happening uh, here. It's not only on the economy, it's, it's tourism, it's social. There's a lot of uh, family ties. He says the connection between the U.S. and Mexico hasn't been taken advantage of due to poor government. But this election could shift that. And what are the personalities will ensure that Baja California gets its house in order and profits and takes advantage of being next door to California, again, the single richest state in the U.S. The elections will take place on Sunday, June 6. The candidate with the most votes will become governor of Baja California on November 1st. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. This weekend, the arts take on the great outdoors. We have outdoor dance performances, choral music in a garden setting, a walking tour of art galleries, and the symphony breaks in their new outdoor venue. Joining me is KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon Evans with the details. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start with dance. What does San Diego Dance Theater have to offer? Yeah, so this performance this weekend is actually the kickoff to a bigger a bigger festival called Dances in the Air Fest, which is a collaboration between San Diego Dance Theater, Malashock Dance, and San Diego Ballet. And they'll run with more outdoor performances through mid-June. But to start, they're performing something called Other Times, Other Places on a brand new outdoor stage at Arts District Liberty Station. It's in the South Promenade area. And for this first show, they're bringing together Terry Wilson's 2020 work called Words Move which is set to and inspired by poetry like Rumi, Pablo Neruda, and contemporary living writers. And then they're also doing Jean Isaac's Phantom Bodies Revisited. That was originally a work that Isaacs did years ago centered on the AIDS pandemic, but Jean Isaacs has tweaked it a little for the COVID era. They're also performing Kamala Samfan's purposely accidental piece and bringing in guest artist and choreographer Rosana Tavares, and she'll perform a brand new work of hers called Milonga Mia. Very nice. San Diego Dance Theater performs outdoors at Arts District Liberty Station's new outdoor stage tonight and Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 2.30 p.m. 
And next, another outdoor performance, this one with choral music. Tell us what the San Diego Master Chorale is up to on Sunday. Yeah, so this is their first performance with a live audience since early last year. And they'll be performing at the Water Conservation Garden at Cuyamaca College, which is one of those worth-a-visit-anyway places. I've never seen it in the evening, so that will also be a nice opportunity, too. And if you can't make it out, they will produce this as a live stream, but you'll have to wait until June. So for this show on Sunday, they're calling it their Spring Garden Concert, and the chorale is performing a handful of works in the shape note, or it's a congregational folk-inspired singing tradition. Two of them are kind of nature-inspired contemporary choral works, one by Libby Larson and one by Greg Brown. And they're bookending the show with works by contemporary Black composers set to the poetry of Langston Hughes. There's one by Andre J. Thomas, and then this piece, Give Us Our Peace by Rollo Dilworth, and the group performed this with their high school honor choir in early 2020. That's San Diego Master Chorale with Give Us Our Peace, a Langston Hughes text set to music by composer Rollo Dilworth. The chorale will perform outdoors at the Water Conservation Garden on Sunday at 7 p.m. In the visual art world, you're going to walk us through three separate gallery openings happening on Saturday, all within a block of La Jolla. Let's start with Quint 1. Yeah, so Quint One is by appointment only, and they're opening an exhibition that's a single work by San Diego artist Peter Halaz. And this work's called Heart Song, and it is huge. It's kind of a, a swirl of celestial starscape, a bunch of color and light. And that one opens Saturday, but is only on view through June 19th. And Quint Gallery recently moved their main space to Girard Avenue in La Jolla, too. What are they opening there? Yeah, it's just a quick walk. It gets you to the main Quint Gallery about a block away. And Kelsey Brooks is opening a solo exhibition there with 13 of his paintings and sculptures. These are all science-inspired and kind of psychedelic. And the works they picked pull from a bunch of his recent series. So it's kind of like a survey exhibition of Kelsey Brooks' work. And the main gallery has open hours of 11 to 4 on Saturday, and you don't need an appointment for that one. Mm, And one more, some photography next door. Yeah, a neighboring gallery, the Joseph Bellows Gallery, they're opening new solo photography works by Michael Molno. And he's photographed the facades of buildings around San Diego, a lot of industrial facades in National City, a lot of retro and mid-century stuff. It's all in this eerie black and white silver gelatin format. And gallery hours there are by appointment. Okay, that's three exhibitions at Quint Gallery, Quint One and Joseph Bellows Gallery. And they all open on Saturday in a one-block radius of La Jolla. And finally, the symphony performs its first concert from their new outdoor venue, which was just officially named the Rady Shell at Jacobs Park. Tell us about this. Yeah, this one, it's a virtual show for the audience, but it will be nice to see the symphony performing for the first time in the long-awaited shell. Raphael Piari will conduct the orchestra, and they'll play Wagner's Siegfried Idol piece, which is really sweeping and elegant, kind of a sublime feeling. 
And then they're also doing a Mozart symphony, the Jupiter Symphony, which is really bright and powerful. The symphony will stream their concert called What's That Sound? First music from the shell tonight at 7 p.m. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor Julia Dixon Evans. For details on all of these and more arts events or to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. Julia, thank you so much. Thank you, Jade. Have a great weekend. You too.